Welcome to C's for Creepy. My name is Elise. And my name's Courtney. Join us every week as we discuss our favorite true crime and paranormal stories. From A to Z. Welcome back to another episode of C is for Creepy. Thank you so much for listening to last week's episode. We love seeing all the support and downloads from you guys. Absolutely. Uh, One thing, though, before we start our episodes, if you could just take the time to rate or review us on whichever podcast listening app or device you're using, please just take the time to do that. It really helps spread the word and gets us out there a little bit. For sure. And then if you have anything that you want us to cover or any ghost stories, anything like that, any little stories you want to hear for the nocturnal novellas, please feel free to email us at c4creepy at gmail.com. Okay, so I think that's all of our housekeeping uh, announcements. Yeah, let's uh, let's get right into it. What is your K? So this week for K... I'm going to cover a subject that I know Courtney especially has requested. I'm going to be covering killer cults. Yes! So (laughs) excited! So, to start, let's talk a little bit about what cults are and how one could find themselves trapped in a group with such outlandish ideals or doctrines. Brainwashing. Kind of. Okay. Kind of. I'm here for it. Oh, yeah. So to start with a definition, according to Britannica Dictionary, a cult is a small religious group that is not a part of a larger and more accepted religion, and that has beliefs regarded by many people as extreme and or dangerous. It could also refer to a small group of devoted fans, i.e. like a movie that has a cult following. Just throw that in there. We're not covering the latter, we're covering the former. The dangerous cults. The very dangerous cults. I'm here for it. (laughs) There's also a huge difference in personalities in regards to who would start a cult versus who would join a cult. Like, very, like, it's not very likely that a person could start and join a cult. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. it's one or the other, typically. Okay. Isn't that usually, like, the narcissistic? Generally. That That starts, yeah, very narcissistic, very full of themselves, very charismatic people as well. Like, you've got to be able to convince people to follow you Mm -hmm. and give you everything that they have. Yeah. It's wild. So when considering members of a cult, it's easy to blame the members themselves for ending up in these precarious situations that they have found themselves in. brainwash naive and gullible were some of the words that can instantly form in one's mind when the topic of cults come up there is more to the story however a book published in 1998 called comprehending cults by lord l dawson has some interesting findings according to him people who join cults are more likely to have higher education be more financially stable and have a lack of religious or spiritual upbringing. Looking for a sense of group and being, usually? There can be that. To get into it a little bit more, he posited those with higher education are 
typically more likely to be open-minded to new ideas without immediate dismissal, regardless of how outlandish they are. As well, those with higher education on average will work jobs with a higher wage and without financial stress, those people tend to feel more secure and have freedom to pursue those interests. So let's just remember that this is a study from 1998. I totally understand that in this day and age, higher education does not always equal higher wages. Just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. <laughs> higher education also means higher debt ratio these days. Exactly. But then I'm sure that was more accurate. For the time. So it is also beneficial for cult leaders to attract those with full wallets as those people can contribute financially to the cult. Those who have not learned or developed their spiritual side can be more likely to be influenced by cults leaders as they do not have fully formed beliefs and so they can be more open to believing those ideas and teachings of someone claiming to be the latest prophet. Right? Like without those preconceived notions about what god or religion or spirituality are it's more likely to be influenced by something new right yeah if you were raised a certain like if you were raised that fords are awful trucks just as an example you're not likely to buy one in the future i'm feeling personally attacked (laughs) but yes i get it that's that's the example i'm going with i was luckily not recently. I don't, I'm open, but so I am curious though. What about today's day and age? Because when I hear about cults, I only ever hear about like cults from 10, 20, 30 years ago, even farther back. But I'm curious with like today's social media, if they're harder or easier to get a following into a cult. I think too that would depend on. The type of culture talking about, like if you're talking about like influencer cults, I think that there's definitely some more likelihood. I don't know if it would be I mean, as like, much devotion as cults in previous years. Yeah, like I, you I know, like human, everybody drinking the Kool Aid cults. Those are definitely still a thing. Like, in, I feel like they're a lot smaller. I didn't do too much research into the cults in this day and age. I focus mostly on older days just because there is so much more information and studies done on those in that day and age. I'm sure in a few years we'll be able to get more. Which is really sad because until something bad horrendous happens, there's nothing. Exactly. It's unfortunately with sociological studies events have to happen in order for studies to take place that's a scary thought it is well there were also other studies done and those studies found that women are more likely to be cult members and men are more likely to be cult leaders okay a study done by columbia university found that those recruited by a cult often have identity formation difficulties making them more vulnerable to those who manipulate and claim that they have the answers and acceptance that these members are looking for. Often by making undeliverable promises, these recruits are love-bombed and manipulated into following what seems to be a leader who accepts and loves them. 
These leaders are charismatic, are respected by their followers, and are unquestioned. Often cult leaders claim to have a connection to a higher power, making them special and important. Rules set by these leaders must be obeyed, and conformity is often demanded. So, like, everybody has to wear the same clothes. Um, it can get so much control, like, they dictate who you can marry, who you have sex with, who you see, who you interact with, like... What jobs you have. Everything. Yeah. They control your entire life. Oh. So, now, on to my case. I am going to be covering the People's Temple. A.K.A. Jonestown Massacre. Yes. So excited. Okay. Originally named the People's Temple Full Gospel Church, then the People's Temple of the Disciples of Christ, but it was shortened and is wildly known as the People's Temple. It was a religious organization that started in 1954 by leader Jim Jones. Okay, you can delete this, but... um. Do you remember someone who used to call themselves Jimmy Jones? Oh, yes, I sure do. One time I'd asked him about it, and he was like, oh, it's just from the People's Temple. Like, I just, I really enjoyed that name. And uh, at the time, I really wasn't, like, really big into this stuff. But looking back, I'm like, what a fucking crazy person. Oh, yeah. He was not, not right. Not right at all. No. Sorry, continue. Yes. So, he was born James Warren Jones. Jim had a tumultuous upbringing. Born in Indiana in 1931, the family suffered from financial hardship, in part due to Jones's father having lasting breathing difficulties after surviving a gas attack in World War I. Holy shit. Okay. Mm -hmm. Due to the family's financial hardship, Jones's mother had to work long hours in a factory. This resulted in young Jim Jones to feel very lonely for the majority of his childhood. Was he an only child? Yes. Okay. From what I could see, yes. It was actually kind of sad. Like, his um, his mother didn't really have a maternal instinct, and his father, like, if he was able to work an odd job, he often spent that money gambling. So, young Jones was all alone. Perfect storm. Mm. I don't know. I'm getting really tired of this being an excuse. <laughs> I, I'm... Oh, no. Like... I know. I, it just is really frustrating for me. Because lots of people's... Like, everybody's parents work two jobs nowadays. Oh, 100%. And, oh my gosh, somebody wasn't there to take care of you as a child? Like... And not you, everybody has the best of parents. No. But at the end of the day, you can... You cannot kill a bunch of people. Just throwing that out there. I you can leave. You you can be a decent person. Ideally. Ugh. But sorry. perfect <laughs> storm for everyone's story. Yes. Ah, fuck. Piss me off. <laughs> <clears throat> Plot twist. We're all just raising serial killers. Oh god. Yeah, that'll be the next next 70s it'll be a new wave yeah (laughs) both my parents worked (laughs) the horror (laughs) okay so encouraged by the family's neighbor to attend that nazarene church with her 
Jones found religion to be fascinating. He frequently attended multiple different churches and was baptized at several of them. His desire to become a preacher started around that time, and as a child, he would actually hold private sermons for the kids in his neighborhood. Okay. Okay. Using inspiration from the Apostolic Pentecostal Church, he blended reading from the Bible along with very long tangents of his personal interpretations of the passages he would read. Jones also spent hours learning about different social, religious, and political leaders, including Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Karl Marx, just to name a few. Ooh, okay. Which, I'm, I'm not here for it. Knowing okay. the outcome. No, well, knowing the outcome, but I think that is really interesting, because I don't know about you, but I remember back in high school, guys seemed to go into, like, three different categories of, like, interests. There was sports guys. Gamer guys. Gamer guys. Like, art, artsy guys. Yeah. But then there was always a group that was, like, super into socialism. Like, there was always the communist guys. Yep. I, I just, like, distinctly remember that, and, like, reading about that, I was like, hmm... That's interesting. <laughs> That's a creepy thought. Right? I don't know. I, I just, it brought that memory back to my brain. Where, yeah. Like, there's, there was a group of guys that were like super into socialism. Mm-hmm. wonder where they're at now. I wonder. In 1945, Jones's parents divorced and Jones moved with his mother to Richmond, Indiana. While in high school, Jones worked as an orderly at the Reed Hospital to support himself. There he met a nurse in training named Marceline Baldwin, who he began dating. Okay. Jones graduated high school in 1948 and moved to Bloomington, Indiana to attend university. The young couple continued their relationship while Jones was attending university, and eventually the couple married in 1949. There's going to be, like, a lot of dates in this. Okay. In 1951, Jones, who was fed up with the oppressive capitalism which exploited the poor for labor, as well as the harsh racial injustices which consumed the media at the time, he started attending Communist Party meetings. This garnered a lot of negative harassment, as being openly communist in the 50s was likened to being a terrorist. Hmm. Okay. Which, like, you know what? Don't get me wrong. Capitalism is the bane of my existence. Mm-hmm. And obviously, but I wonder for him if those were genuine feelings or if he was getting into those causes because he knew that he could tug on those heartstrings. I agree. It would be interesting to know where that thought process actually started. Right? Like, if those were genuine feelings of wanting to do good, or if he could use... His manipulation and charm to... To get in with those groups of people. Yeah. Yeah. Jones came up with a solution to, to combine his two greatest passions. He would become a Methodist minister... He held the belief that the church was the only way he could, quote, put real socialism to practice, end quote. Even while hired as a student pastor at a Methodist church, Jones spoke at Pentecostal churches. So just real quick, Pentecostal churches are the ones that believe in, like, speaking in tongues and the concept of divine healing. 
whereas Methodist is more like classic Christianity practices. Okay. Okay. Right? I didn't know, so I just wanted to clarify for other people. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. So preaching twice a week was not enough to fund his plans for his church. So he did a number of odd jobs to help grow funds, including selling monkeys door to door that he imported and sold for $29 each. Um, I'm kind of mad. Why do I not have monkey salesmen at my door? Because there are laws to protect the monkeys, Courtney. Why is there not a chicken salesman coming to my door? <laughs> Lord knows I would buy them. Lord knows I would too. <laughs> it was actually really funny because he didn't have a car. He had a bike with a cage full of monkeys. He was just biking around door to door with his monkey cage. I'm curious how well he did at that. He must have done well enough. But it that actually didn't do him a whole bunch of favors because like if a shipment of monkeys would come in, he would reject it because the monkeys were sick or dead. That there's a reason why we don't have door to door salesmen for animals. That's fair. So anyways, Jones was fired from his position from the Methodist Church for theft in nineteen fifty four. This did not deter Jones from his wish to lead a congregation, however, and he moved his family yet again as he believed that he could get real traction with the Pentecostals. Okay. In 1956, Jones was ordained as an independent minister and amassed a following fueled by the belief that Jones was gifted with supernatural powers of divine healing. Hmm. This is when the People's Temple really kicked off. Jones also taught others that he was the manifestation of God, which is part of the later reigns doctrine, which is yet another branch. Jones focused on racial integration in 1960 and helped integrate churches, companies, restaurants, and more while serving as, a, as the director of the local human rights commission in Indianapolis. So, People have layers. Bad people can do good things. Mm-hmm. He did one good thing, and this is that. Okay. Yeah. But you know what? That is a good thing. It is a good thing. Bad people, there are multitudes. He's an onion. Yes. Okay. There, people are multitudes. They are not good. Well, good people can do bad things. Bad people can do good things. Mm-hmm. So publicity from this campaign attracted even more people for his congregation. So once again... Just because he did a nice thing, was it for just the simple fact of doing a nice thing, or was it, once again, to suck people in Mm -hmm. to get more followers? It's really difficult, knowing what happens, not to question those motives. Yep. Fearing nuclear war, Jones moved the People's Church from Indianapolis to California in 1967, and then to the... to the San Francisco Bay Area in 1971. While in California, Jones worked as a government and history adult teacher, using the position to recruit more people to the People's Temple. It was around this time that Jones started abusing drugs and becoming more paranoid. Solid. He changed his doctrine as well, naming his ideas as apostolic socialism, He was introducing communism to the congregation and rejecting religion and the Bible. 
saying, quote, they only serve to oppress women and non-whites, end quote. I'm sorry, so this is a religious congregation that is now rejecting religion. That is exactly right. Okay, cool. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah. While still under the public eye, Jones used words very carefully as his communistic views could end the support of many political leaders and it could also lose tax exemptions gained by the church. Gained by being a church. Yep. So he he just shifted. He just had this shift. Okay. Okay. This is also when he truly began to exploit people using fear and isolating the group by naming those outside forces such as like the KKK or Nazis or the U.S. government as the enemy who was trying to destroy them. Okay. Yeah. Wait, what year are we in? This is in 1970s, like early 1970s. There were no Nazis. There's always been well, Nazis. I know, but like <laughs> World War II and the Nazi party has been dissolved. Yeah, but there's still like neo-Nazis this day and age. Like the idea of Nazism has not disappeared even Okay, with so the he's end. not talking about like German Nazis. No. Okay, okay, okay. No, My no, brain no. just went to that and I'm like No, just like basically instead of like Nazi, just like white supremacists. Because once again, like he had amassed a large following of people of color because he supported those causes. They felt that they could trust him because Which, that is what he wanted. You know, in that day and age, though, they very could have been a threat. They, oh, they could have been. Absolutely. But that's what makes his manipulation that much stronger. Yeah. That's scary. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ba, ba, ba. So... All those outside forces were trying to destroy the people's temple. Uh, so he was isolating the members. They were He was trying to get them to stay in this camp for their own protection okay. from these outside forces. So this is where control really started to come in. Everyone had to turn over all of their assets to the church in exchange for room and board. Any money made from work outside of the church had to be turned over as well. The control grew to the point that Jones was dictating who could get married and included the and this included the members' sex lives. Like it got bad. Wait, so he was telling people when they could bang. Okay. Who they could bang. Not a pretty sight. So in 1973, bad press started coming in against Jones. That's fair. People started claiming that he was faking the divine healings that he was performing. And as a side note, he was faking them. Jones would have plants in the audience who would cough up chicken livers and say that they were cancer tumors. Yikes. Okay. Yeah. That and allegations of abuse and sexual abuse prompted Jones to move the con congregation to Guyana in 1974. Where's Guyana? That's in South America. Okay. So the project was started in the summer of 1974 with dormitories being built, land cleared for farming, and power generators being installed. And when this first started, there was only about like 50 people that went down there to get everything set up. The first members 
moved to what would be known as Jonestown in December of that year, claiming that Jonestown would be a socialist utopia. After more broad press, Jones made the move to Guyana permanently in 1977 and sought to take as many of the members with the congregation as possible. So he took as many members with him. Okay. Once in Jonestown, the members found that they could not leave. Medications and passports were seized on arrival. Described as a paradise, they found that they had been lied to. Instead, it was more like being in an armed encampment, with other members being armed with guns to prevent those from trying to escape. Those who did try to escape were punished. Hmm. Everyone was sleep-deprived as their days were filled with manual labor, so they were pretty much working from 6 in the morning to 6 in the evening. Holy shit. And on top of that, these evenings consisted of gathering and listening to Jones preach, which could go on for several hours. Oh my god. These folks listened endlessly to Jones's sermons as loudspeakers played them throughout the encampment on a loop all day. Meals were meager and rationed, so many were left hungry. Because, like, the group, at that point, they were farming, they were doing what they could, but they were not prepared for the influx of people that came. They were prepared to feed about 500 people, and they got about 900. Holy shit, okay. Yeah, so, like, they did not have the resources to feed that many people. Yeah. And I should point out that a third of those people that were there were children. Another fun aspect of Jonestown was called White Nights. These were drills that happened during the night where everybody that was already sleep-deprived, followers would be woken up by Jones over the loudspeakers, and everyone would have to gather at the pavilions. Armed guards would surround the group, Then Jones would say that they were under attack, so they would all have to drink the poison so they could end up in paradise together. Oh my god. Once everybody had drank the fruit punch and waited for their deaths, Jones informed them that this was a drill, but they would have to be prepared for the real event, as he was sure the CIA would try to raid the encampment. And I don't know if that's necessary, like, I'm sure part of that is true, but I think, too, it was a very good test of loyalty. Oh, 100%. Nobody would not want to be the one to not drink it, right? Yeah. He continued to use fear, saying that the situation in America was worse, with African Americans being held in concentration camps, and that they were under the constant threat of nuclear warfare. Ooh. Like, he went off the rails. Fear tactic. And it worked. Mm Mm-hmm. It worked. November 1978, a group led by Congressman Leo Ryan went to Guyana to see the situation for himself. Many of the people in the group going were either there was ex-members or there was people who had relatives that they hadn't heard from for a while. And there was also reporters and photographers. The delegation arrived November 14th, 1978, and they were initially refused access to Jonestown. Oh. At this point, Jim Jones was incredibly paranoid, both from the declining mental health issues he was suffering, most likely due to the increased drug abuse. Yeah. 
So really, this isn't surprising. He would not let outsiders in. Yep. By the 17th of November, the congressman informed Jones that they would be visiting the encampment, whether he liked it or not. Mm -hmm. Upon arrival into Jonestown, the group of concerned people were surprised to see the members of the People's Temple in such good spirits. They even were putting on feasts and musical performances. Hmm. That is until a note was secretly passed from a temple member to one of the visitors, saying, quote, please help us get out of Jonestown, end quote. The members of this cult had been forced to rehearse contentment and joy from being held prisoners of this madman. Like, they were trying to mislead these visitors and not, not show any signs of what was really going on. Yeah. The following day, a small group of defectors made their intentions to leave Jonestown with the congressman's group known to Jim Jones. Even earlier in the day, though, 11 people, including family members related to the head of security, had a very bad feeling and they left in the middle, like really early in the morning. Oh. And they walked over to the nearest town. Holy shit. They're like, we're getting the fuck out. We're not saying shit to no one. We're sneaking. Yeah. So they survived. Okay. Jones gave the defectors permission to leave Jonestown. So the group left for the airport to make their way back home. Congressman Ryan, who had stayed behind to seek any other potential defectors, had been attacked by a temple member who was holding a knife. So luckily that other people leaving for the airport stopped Grabbed the congressman and were like, no, we're all leaving together. It's time to go. As they were waiting at the airstrip to leave Guyana, they didn't realize because of the additional people, they had to book an additional plane. Mm -hmm. So as they were waiting, that gave Jones time to organize an ambush. The People's Temple members drove to the airstrip and opened fire. The first moments of the attack were filmed by a reporter who was murdered along with Ryan and three other people. Holy shit. The rest sustained injuries, but 14 of them managed to flee. Okay. Meanwhile, back in Jonestown, shit gets real. The practiced mass suicides were no longer a drill. Temple members were told the American government would be parachuting into Jonestown to torture and kill everyone. Ooh. Large barrels of grape flavorade with cyanide, antihistamines, and tranquilizers were prepared for distribution among the 918 people, with once again a third of them are youths under 17. Holy shit. Syringes without needles were filled with a poison cocktail and given first to the children and then to adults. Mm-hmm. Once administered, members were led away. But death took between 5 minutes and 30 minutes. Like children, it took less time. Jones' command of the revolutionary suicide was recorded on tape and is now known as the People's Temple Death Tape. It's about 45 minutes long and you can actually listen to it if you choose to. I did not. I just read some quotes from there. Holy shit. Yeah. One of his quotes is upon members witnessing the deaths of their children and other members was, quote, 
Die with a degree of dignity. Lay down your life with dignity. Don't lay down with tears and agony. He was also heard saying, quote, Be patient. Death is, I tell you, I don't care how many screams you hear. I don't care how many anguish cries. Death is a million times preferable to spending more days in this life. If you knew what was ahead of you, if you knew what was ahead of you, you would be glad to be stepping over tonight. That's scary. Poisoning by cyanide is not a gentle way to die. I couldn't imagine it would be. The people waiting would have witnessed the ones already dosed convulsing with blood filling in their mouths until they passed out. With cyanide poisoning, the body is completely deprived of oxygen, making it a fairly painful way to die. And it's sick because, like, what, like, I think it was his wife or one of his mistresses was heard saying, like, oh, these children are crying because it tastes bitter, not because they're in pain. No, girl. Oh, my God. It's, it's sick. People waited in a trance for their turn some suspecting the lunch they had eaten that day to have been laced with sedatives to help make people more compliant. Some bodies were found with injection marks and bent needles by them, suggesting they did not want to comply but were forced to be a part of this revolution. Hmm. So I've heard, I read different reports, but one of the sources I found said that two people died from gunshot wounds on the compound. I don't know for sure if that's accurate. Like I said, I've read different sources. But one of the people who died from a gunshot wound was Jim Jones himself, who shot himself in the temple. Huh. Other, the other member to have died from a bullet wound had already been given a large dose of cyanide. So I'm wondering if maybe she was in so much pain that she was screaming and like causing a disturbance. That's really sad. That would make the most sense to me. Yeah. 914 of the bodies were transported back to the United States by the American government. Back home, the government started the process of identifying the bodies in order to return remains to next of kin. Good on South America, though, for just, like, letting America come in and deal with this. There was already American military, I think, there. Don't quote me on that. I, okay. It was. It just said that the U.S. military. I don't think that Guyana really wanted to deal with it either, though. I don't blame them. No. Especially, like, a congressman was killed on their soil, too. Like, by Americans, but still. Like, yeah. Get the fuck out of my country. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Nine cremated remains, who had never been claimed, were discovered at a Dover funeral home in August 2014. By September of that year, four of the nine had been claimed by next of kin, and the remaining five were laid to rest at the Jonestown Memorial, located in Oakland, California. There has also been many conspiracy theories over the years blaming the CIA for the incident, saying that they were conducting mind control experiments on the temple members. Or there's also been theories that the KGB could have been behind it. So hmm. with big events like this, there's always conspiracy theories yeah. that grow from that. So who's to say they're true? I don't know. I just think that they're interesting. So where is Jim Jones buried? 
So according to findgrave.com, it says that he was cremated and his ashes were scattered at sea. So... That's an interesting end for him. That is. Okay. I think pretty much all of the members were cremated. I meant the scattering at sea. That is an interesting end for him. But I don't think it would be fitting to put his remains with the rest of the people at the memorial. No. So. The site in Guyana was looted by the people that lived there in the mid-80s, and the buildings were burnt down for the jungle to reclaim, as no one wanted to stay there because of the mass murder that took place. Fair. There have also been people who have gone back and found artifacts from Jonestown. In the end, Jonestown and the People's Temple is one of the most infamous cults in recent history, with, quote, don't drink the (laughs) Kool-Aid, being an insensitive saying thrown around. Just to end on a slightly fun fact... Kool-Aid wasn't used because it was more expensive than Flavor-Aid. So, I had heard that. Yes. Just, I, I'm, I would be really pissed. Like, the knockoff brand. And it was grape, too. So there's, they would have to inject that because I even... Not happening. No, I do not want no artificial grape flavor. <laughs> well, that was a wonderful story. Thank you. Um, I would also like to add... That this is an extremely well-documented case, so if you want more information, I watched Jonestown Paradise Lost, which had some really good reenactments. Um, there's also many other documentaries out there. Um, I also listened to Cult's podcast, and they did an excellent job. And there's hundreds, well, maybe not hundreds, probably hundreds. There's a lot of podcasts out there that have covered Jonestown as well. So mm-hmm. if you're looking for more information, it is out there. That's wonderful. Yeah. What a great topic. I love it. Yay. I got one off the list that you wanted. Yay. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much for that story. That was super interesting to research. I cannot believe how much information was out there. Oh, cults just, they bring me so much fascination. Yes. They are an interesting topic. So, anyways, what is your K? My K, we are going to Kansas. Ooh. And we are going to Stull's Gateway to Hell. Ooh, another gateway to hell. I know. I know. They're they're my fave. I enjoy them. So, Stull is an unincorporated community in Douglas County, Kansas, United States. Founded in 1857, this settlement was initially known as Deer Creek, until it was renamed after its only mail carrier, Sylvester Stull. Okay, that is so sweet. I'm really tired of rich people being named after stuff. We need more... Mail carriers being named after things. Exactly. Yeah. And then as of 2018, only a handful of structures remain in the area. Since the 1970s, the town has become infamous due to the dubious legend that claims the nearby Stull Cemetery is possessed by demonic forces. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, I love it. So, during the late 1850s, the handful of families living in Deer Creek organized a church that met in the homes of its members until 1867. Mm-hmm. So this was like a door-to-door church going. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, then, when a stone structure named the Evangelica Emmanuel and Deer Creek Mission was built, 
This church later became known simply as Evangelical Emmanuel Church. Okay. Yeah. In 1867, a cemetery was chartered for the town next to the church, and then in 1922, those living in Stull raised money to construct a new wooden frame church across the road, and the old stone Evangelical Emmanuel Church was abandoned by the community in 1922. Why would they waste a perfectly good building? You'll see. Okay. Then, over the course of the 20th century, the church slowly fell into great disrepair, finally being demolished in 2002. Mm. Well, you know, if they took care of it, it wouldn't have had to been demolished. Anywho. I know. We'll get there. Okay. The Stull Cemetery has gained an ominous reputation due to the urban legends involving Satan, the occult, and an alleged gateway to hell. The rumors about the cemetery were popularized by a November 1974 issue of a student newspaper of the University of Kansas. Hmm which claimed that the devil appeared in Stahl twice a year, once on Halloween and once on the spring equinox. Interesting. Didn't the spring equinox just pass? Uh, yeah, it did. So I wonder if he appeared. Probably. I secretly hope so, but... <laughs> People soon said that the cemetery was a location of one of the seven gates to hell and that the nearby evangelical emmanuel church ruin was possessed by the devil okay sorry there are seven gateways to hell on earth or yeah on earth really yeah wow i did not know that that seems like a lot you'd think that there'd be more you'd think actually you know just like the world is a big place if you're gonna have a gate like that that's could you imagine if you needed to get to somewhere in the middle point between gates? I would be pissed. You're walking. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So, the church rune was possessed by the devil. Others claimed that the legend was provoked by the killing of Stahl's mayor back in 1850s. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. It is also said during a trip to Colorado in the 1990s, the Pope redirected the flight's path of his private plane to avoid flying over the unholy ground of Stull. Huh. That is wild. Right? Wow. The legend enticed thrill-seekers to visit the cemetery, and they would claim that weird and creepy events such as noises and memory lapses happened to them, leading to further speculation that the town was haunted by witches and the devil. Oh. It became a popular activity for young adults to journey to the cemetery on Halloween or the equinox to see the devil. Many would jump fences or otherwise sneak their way onto the property. Over the decades, as the numbers of people making excursions to the cemetery grew, the graveyard started to deteriorate. Huh. Yeah. This was exacerbated by vandals. Of course. Of course. Can't just see the devil in peace. They gotta make Destroy sure. shit. Yeah. Yeah. To combat this, the county sheriff's office patrols the area around the cemetery, especially on Halloween, and will arrest people for trespassing. Those caught inside the cemetery after it is closed could face a maximum fine of $1,000 and up to six months in jail. Holy shit, they are not fucking around. No, no, they're not. Wow. It gets eerier. Multiple signs attached to the cemetery gate read a simple message. No trespassing. Very to the point. I like it. It is a peculiar sign to be posted on a regular cemetery gate, 
but stall isn't commonly defined as regular. Hmm. Hmm. Despite the rumors and urban legends that surround the cemetery, the most activities seen there in recent years are acts of vandalism. Hence, the trespassing signs and Stull's residents' desire to keep outsiders off the property. Toward the northeast corner of the small plot of land, the only remnants of the roofless church are limestone bricks. Okay. Most of the attractions that once brought people to the cemetery have been removed. Hmm. Which, uh, I'm not too, here for it. I, it makes sense. It's too bad, though. Yeah. Like, if people could just respect property and not destroy stuff, like, who knows? Right? So, our first story is The Stairway to Hell. Nice. In the original version of the legend, the cemetery itself was the epicenter of all the spookiness, and the church was just a creepy ruin that added to the atmosphere. Around the 1980s, the chapel with no roof, which was sheltered from the rain despite its lacking roof... What? I know. ...had become the focus of most legends. People said that somewhere around it was a stairway to hell. That is how the gateway to hell the legend became to be. Many people claim that if you found the stairway, you would be compelled to walk to the bottom, where you would be trapped in hell. Oh. Right? Oh, that's creepy. And then another version is hidden somewhere in the cemetery are steps leading straight into the fiery inferno of the underworld. It is said that the entrance is sealed to the mortal eyes, except for on All Hallows' Eve and the Spring Equinox. Hmm. That is so cool. Mm-hmm. There are two suspected locations for the entrance inside the cemetery. One is under or next to where the abandoned church used to be. Mm, and sense. the second at the center of a hill where five trees once stood, marking out a pentagram. Ooh. And I found this quote and it's it's a gooder. They say that in the basement of the abandoned church in Stahl, Kansas, there's a staircase, and if you follow that staircase down, you'll reach the entrance to hell itself. And if you can crawl your way back up the ladder, escape from the bowels of hell to reach the surface, you'll have to climb for weeks. That is, if the devil doesn't grab you first. Ooh, goosebumps. Right? So that is the gateway to hell. Mm-hmm. Like, let's be honest here. I am so out of shape, I'd see the stairs and be like, you're on your own. I don't know. If I could feel some warmth, I might be enticed to go down a few. Like, just warm up and then, like, go halfway. Warm up. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so our next story is the omens from the eighth window. Oh. Another story that circulates is that when the church stood... When the church still stood, on some nights, the church would light up with a glow from an unholy mass, where an eighth window would appear. Its appearance was an omen of bad luck for the town of Stull, and a disaster would follow shortly after its appearance. Oh, that's cool. So, I was kind of looking for more to be said on this, and Renetting's Viking Reviews on YouTube said that he experienced the eighth window. Oh. And I did kind of watch the YouTube video and type it up. So okay. if I miss, I only did like this one part. If I'm missing anything, sorry. No, but yeah. As we got closer to the church in the middle of the night, we noted that something was odd. 
an odd feeling. Under the moonlight, walking through the grounds, we saw that there were windows. Everything was there. The doors were there, the windows was there, and the roof was there. The roofless church. <laughs> Once we walked into the building around the back of the church, there was a window. Now, there's only supposed to be seven windows on the building and none on the back wall. But from the inside, we could hear a Sunday choir singing and we saw eight windows. Oh. Now, we could not see through the original seven windows, but this out of place eighth window was so bright with light shining through and with the singing we took off. Yeah, fair. I would think so. It does not target the people that witnessed the window but the community itself oh that is bullshit i do not blame this community for tearing the church down we'll get there right this church had a history of satanists cults and especially with the first three digits of the zip code being 666 okay sorry this is the second week in a row where like you mentioned cult like Kind, like it's a stretch but like we're on the same wavelength i like it it's so cool sorry i had to Wonderful. point that out <laughs> i find with haunted places there's almost always cults sometimes sometimes oh, gateways to hell yes gateways to hell you can guarantee there will be a cult <laughs> yeah caretakers were constantly finding remnants of satanic rituals with the abandoned church mm. Which, like, I feel bad for these caretakers, honestly. Oh, 100%. Could you imagine just going in and being like, oh, there's some sacrifices left here. Oh, I don't know if I would last long. I'd be so mad. I also would not last long. And now, continuing on with our stories. The devil has been said to appear at stall on the last night of winter or on the first night of spring. He comes to visit a witch that is buried there. Coincidentally, an old tombstone bearing the name Witch is located to the old church. Oh, is located close to the old church. It should be mentioned that there are rumors that an old tree in the graveyard, which was cut down many years ago, was once used as a gallows for condemned witches. Oh. The natural growth of the tree had in fact cut the witch tombstone in half. Oh. Split through the stone by the ghosts of dead witches. That is eerie. Right? I really love the idea, though, that the devil's just like, you know what? I feel bad for this witch in particular. I'm going to come visit her tombstone. I- I'm sorry. I just really enjoy that picture right? in my mind. Just, I agree. There's been millions of people, or thousands, I should say, killed for being a witch. But you are special. I like it. Another quote I found was, On the full moon, witches gather near the old well to cast spells that lure young lovers to hell. Ooh. You know what? I would love just to go here and, like, see it. Mm-hmm. So, there is also said to be a grave in the cemetery that holds the bones of a child of Satan. Oh. Who was born of the devil and a witch. Oh. The child was so deformed that he only lived for a few days. Oh. Yeah. And the body was buried in stall. Some say that his ghost may walk here. And there supposedly was a photo taken a few years ago that shows a werewolf-like boy peering out from behind a tree. Okay. Okay, I'm sorry. He was- he only lived for a few days after being born. 
but he's walking. I I guess the devil works in mysterious ways. Well, like, could you imagine just unfortunately being an infant that dies that you are kind of just a potato in the afterlife? I mean, I would really prefer to think that especially babies just don't have any regrets holding them or like any... Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Anything holding them to this mortal realm. I would hope that babies just get to pass on over to wherever they go. Same. <laughs> so, one story told of two young men who were visiting Stell Cemetery one night and became frightened when a strong wind began blowing out of nowhere. They ran back to their car only to find that the vehicle had been moved to the other side of the highway and is now facing in the opposite direction. Oh, that is creepy. Another man claimed to experience the same anomalous wind, but inside the church rather than in the graveyard. Oh. He claimed that the sinister air current knocked him to the floor and would not allow him to move for some time. Wow. Incidentally... It is inside of the same church where witnesses say that no rain will fall, even though the crumbling building has no roof. That is very interesting. Wild. A decaying wooden crucifix that still hung from one wall was said to sometimes turn upside down when passerby stepped into the building at midnight. Oh... So, mysteriously, the residents refused to talk about the property. Although the property owners have spoken out against both vandals and the macabre stories, but they did very little to try and end the legends for good. For example, as so many of the paranormal events involved the ruin of the old church, why did they not tear it down immediately? Mm-hmm. The building had been standing vacant since 1922, and it had been irreparably damaged by vandalism and the elements over the years. Yeah. In 1996, the remnants of the roof blew off, and once exposed to the elements, the interior walls had become damaged by both weather and graffiti. A large crack also opened in one of the stone walls after the church was struck by lightning. So why did they not tear it down before it fell? That's a good point. That's also creepy that it struck by lightning. Oh. So, wouldn't this bring an end to the demonic tales circulating, circulating around about this place? To make matters worse, why chase away those who come to the cemetery at midnight and Halloween to see the devil appear? If you have nothing to hide, why don't you have a police present? So why not simply control the chaos? You know, that's a good point. And allow the curiosity seekers to see that no spirits will run rampant that fatal night. That is a very good point. Well, fuck, could you imagine how much they could make? Mm-hmm. Like, if they were to profitize on Girl, this that? gets better. Oh, yes. On Halloween night of 1999, reporters from the local newspaper and a television news crew joined a group of onlookers at the cemetery. Sheriff's deputies were on hand, but did not ask anyone to leave. At precisely 11.30 p.m., an unknown representative for the cemetery's owners appeared and ordered everyone to leave the property. Oh. The officers had no choice but to go along with their wishes, and the reporters and spectators had to leave. Oh, that's so weird. Right? 
A still cemetery and the land around it is private property. There was no option but to comply. The owner stated through the representative that they did not want media attention brought to the graveyard because it attracts vandals. But couldn't they have furthered their cause by allowing the camera crew to show that the devil did not appear? You would think. You would think. And why 1130? Yeah. Especially if you're nearby. Especially if there's already a police presence there. You could have gotten rid of that so much quicker. Right? Oh. This gets weirder. On March 29th, 2002... The old stone church in the cemetery was mysteriously demolished. Hmm. A man named Major West, who owned the property along with two other owners, said that they did not authorize the abandoned church to be destroyed. What? And those who lived nearby stated that they were unaware of the demolition. Holy. It just disappeared. Oh my god. Right? That is freaky. I know. Ooh. So my references, I used Wikipedia, Roadside America, Kansas.com, The Culture Crush, HorrorMade.com, and AmericanHauntingSync.com. That was super interesting. I'm so glad you covered that. Thank you. It it had so many like weird feelings to it. And that's yeah, definitely. I love Ooh. it. Well, I'm glad you loved it. That was super cool. I'd never heard of that one either. So. That was super cool. Thank you. Okay, so that wraps us up for K-Stories. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to review and rate us and leave us comments and email us. You know, reach out. Yeah, absolutely. Like, we love hearing the feedback. Um, You'll have to catch us next Tuesday as we cover... L. L. I already there i know (laughs) it's crazy yeah thanks for listening bye thanks for tuning in to c is for creepy we put out weekly episodes every tuesday going through the creepy alphabet check out our website at acast.com slash c is for creepy or on facebook at c is for creepy podcast or on instagram at c for creepy podcast if you have any questions concerns or suggestions please email us at c for creepy at gmail.com artwork done by alexis daly check out her work at lexxa underscore artwork on instagram see you next week bye